You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 141 of the Comic Book Informer podcast, coming to you on September 24th. This is Vince, along with Roger. How are we doing today, man? I'm doing great because you made me read Peter Spider-Man, Peter Parker Spider-Man. It was like, I hadn't realized quite how much I'd missed that. <laughs> I, I am in 100% agreement with that, yeah. with that thought. As much as I love what's been going on, obviously, as we've made abundantly clear right now with Otto, man, going back and reading some actual Peter Parker ones, you you realize what you lost as well. You gained a hell of a lot with Otto, but man, you lost a lot with Peter too. Mm-hmm. So today we're actually talking about the Spider-Man Reign miniseries from 2006. And I read this not long after it came out. And there's been a lot of talk about it online, you know, good and bad. But uh, it actually went on sale on Comixology a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh, a buck an issue you got it and of course that started up all the conversation again so i figured well we'd add our voice to the noise because there are some people out there who really like this miniseries and a whole bunch of people who can't stand it before getting into too much detail kind of where do you come down on this on the fence on this one i loved it i okay absolutely loved it i thought the writing was phenomenal i i really like how um okay first of all care care is that a guy i'm gonna assume it's a guy because unfortunately most writers are for the comic books but is it a guy or a woman i'm pretty sure it's a guy okay we're gonna go with guy and if it's not i apologize kr whatever however you pronounce your name (laughs) you're a great writer regardless okay um but i love how he um integrated the children's stories in it kind of thing Mm -hmm. and and it worked in well it worked in exceptionally well especially again when you are uh how he worked it in with with peter's monologues which again peter's a smart guy so these are things that he would be thinking about and whatnot so like i i dug the writing like crazy absolutely loved it and the art was oh my god i loved it 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 fits this perfectly i i again i can't say enough for this i really really enjoyed this a lot yeah so uh, all the writing and art was actually done by Kari andrews uh colors by jose villarubia and andrews has not had a whole lot of comic work in his career uh it was basically this uh, and he did that really cool xenogenesis uh miniseries for astonishing x-men along with warren ellis oh, is that who that was Mm-hmm. Okay. He had a crazy, like super distorted, very off-model art style, but it worked it works, so well yeah. for yeah. that miniseries. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And uh, he's actually transitioned into film work. Like he's been directing a lot of like small up-and-coming movies, and it looks like that's where his career is moving towards. Which is kind of sad because I'd like to see him do more comic work. Yeah, no, really, I agree. I, I okay because I don't read all of the people pitching and complaining. What were people complaining about with this what was the main complaint we're going to get to that all right fine (laughs) but before we go into this one of the things about uh spider-man reign is that by and large it's really an homage to the dark knight returns with the same premise of you know the the old retired hero in a future you know that you know that's society has gone wrong and you know he has to step up and save the day to the point where 
uh, one of the characters in the comic, the the newscaster, his name is Miller Jansen, of course, named after Frank Miller yeah. and Klaus Jansen. And it's really interesting to see how you can do a very similar story with two very different characters because I don't think I could pick two superheroes more polar opposites than Batman and Spider-Man. Well, in some ways, yeah. In some ways. Yeah. So the story starts off uh, with Peter Parker – Old Peter Parker. I mean, I think he's in like his 60s approximately right. in the story. Even lo- older than that. Well, since JJ is still kicking around, he can't be too much older than that. Oh, that's true too, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he's retired. He's broke. You know, he's working at a flower shop. He's basically just become, you know, a doormat of a person because he exists in this new version of New York where superheroes altogether were outlawed 30 years ago and the last actual superpowered crime to be committed in the city was a full decade previously and the mayor is kind of taking full credit for this with his new security measures and his his gestapo police force called the rain and just tightening his grip and you know this dystopian future with uh, you know Pretty much anything you can imagine from, you know, Dark Knight Returns, Blade Runner, any of that stuff. It's all going on here, and it's it's not the New York we've known and loved from the comics. And I like how the city itself really did have a lot of character in this story. That's how it is often. We've talked about that, like, when mm-hmm. you were talking about um, the, the uh, who was it that's going to Canada? You were talking about? The Justice League? Right, right, right. And how, like, you, again, the, the city's important. And it, it becomes a character in the story. And you really feel that in this too. And, and it's, it's again, it's a, it's a twisted reality or d- different, a twisted version of a character that you already know from the current comic book. So again, it's one of those things where we've said time and time again, how we love reading books that are those alternate realities and futures or whatever, and how the, if the writer can play with it well, and this is that, but again, taking that city and kind of changing it as well into something else. And I, I I dug that it was, it was, I didn't miss it. It was great. Mm -hmm. And things are just going so bad for Peter. Like, you know, he gets fired from his job. He gets home. Mary Jane won't talk to him. Like he's just kind of freaking out. His, his wife, you know, the the love of his life is so distant to him until completely out of the blue, J. Jonah Jameson shows up at the door. And I, I'm sorry, Jonah pretty much stole this entire miniseries for me. Yeah. <laughs> you have no argument for me. <laughs> because, you know, he, he's no longer, you know, the, the newspaper, you know, mogul. He sold off the Daily Bugle, I guess, after whatever happened 30 years ago and Spider-Man was exposed and it kind of ruined his credibility. So he had to sell it off. And it was cool that that actually turned into the, the DBN, the Daily Bugle Network, the news network that pops up so often and has basically just become nothing more than puppets for the mayor's, uh, you know, what's the word? Propaganda. And so seeing something that he held up in such high regard as, you know, being a proper news source, even though Jonah himself, you know, had his own issues with how he ran it, but seeing the change in the bugle and, you know, how much Jonah hates what's happened. And he still wants to be, you know, the newsman, the guy that brings the truth to the people and, Time and time again, he absolutely killed it in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a better person now than he was then, essentially, <laughs> is what it boils down to. And he's, he's like the, the one person, too, that is fighting against the system, it seems like, and not content to just be chattel. So you got to respect that. 
Mm-hmm. And he has one of my favorite lines like, right off the bat here when he's talking to Peter, when he looks and sees how old Peter has gotten. And he goes, man, I thought you would be 20 years old forever, which is hilarious because he kind of has. Been. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but anyway, Jonah heads back downstairs, you know, starts bashing a car, yelling at the police, basically getting himself in trouble. All in an effort to motivate Peter because in the package he left Peter was the black Spider-Man costume to kind of wake him up. You know, he's like, I know you're Spider-Man and you always were, you know, the city needs you again. And it was just cool, you know, seeing everything come together. You know, Peter's mind is so horribly broken in this miniseries. He keeps, you know, having these weird delusions and visions and then it all just kind of clicks together and he goes jumping out the window in you know his Spider-Man costume to rescue Jonah. No, 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 no. And this is no, no. one of the it's things. It's not a Spider-Man costume. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm getting to that. <laughs> okay. This is one of the two major things that the detractors of this miniseries point at and go, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. Because, I mean, he's an old, you know, skinny, kind of out of shape guy in his boxer shorts and a Spider-Man mask. <laughs> and, and socks. socks. <laughs> and people are like, look how stupid this is. And I'm like, I don't it, yeah, it was goofy, but it didn't really ruin the, anything for me. <laughs> I still found it worked in terms of what is happening in the story, in terms of the character who, as you just said, is delusional at points. I mean, imagining Mary Jane, everything that's going on, he is he's not himself. He is delusional. I don't know about you. I've dealt with delusional old people. I can clearly, very easily see them going out of their houses in their boxers and doing something like this. This, it works in the story. And not just that, but I think that it's not just for comedic relief. It is obviously at points, but it's also, it's striking, it's jarring. And it's meant to do that because he's being snapped out of this, you know, delusional state he's been in for how long in repressing spider-man and so this worked it's better than like this than if they would have put a costume on him Mm -hmm. and while we're on the subject uh when andrews is drawing spidey in action even when he's in his boxer shorts it's among the best especially do that (laughs) especially when he's in his boxers (laughs) (laughs) because he and he he used a lot of like interesting kind of technology and effects like some of the the backgrounds and parts of this have actually been like cgi rendered it wasn't there was a a lot of stuff going on in this comic that gives it a unique and at times a little weird look but those action scenes never disappoint no no and and it again in my opinion it it works the art thread there was no there's not a single panel that i looked at and thought well that doesn't look right or it doesn't work or whatever kind of thing no throughout it just was I personally loved it, but I can mm-hmm. see how it's a style that not everybody would. Sure, because you know, that's art. Yeah. So as the story goes on, you know, Jonah just keeps getting louder and in more people's faces, you know, ends up actually, you know, bringing this group of, uh, I don't want to say rebels, but, you know, people together who who are unhappy, hacking the, the data transmissions, giving this huge... You know, speech that again, Jonah. I love you, man. This was this this was so good, and actually outing Peter. Yeah, <laughs> he put his address on the TV for everyone to see. Of course, this does not go well. <laughs> but this is when they finally 
get to see Spider-Man, you know, in his full costume, thankfully, this time. The people get to see him in action because it's been, like I said, almost 30 years since they've seen an actual superhero. A lot of these people have never seen a superhero in action. And it really starts raising their spirits of, oh, my goodness, you know, this, this is something new. This is something amazing. Until his mask gets ripped off. <laughs> and then they realize it's just an old guy underneath. And it's it it was so cool the way you see, you know, the crowd reactions to, to everything that's going on. You, know, you look in the background, you can see, you know, certain looks on people's faces, smiles. It, it was freaking awesome. <laughs> and especially because now that the mayor knows that Spider-Man is on the case, he just calls up the Sinister Six, you know. <laughs> He's got them in prison underneath the, you know, city hall. And, of course, these are older, you know, versions of the characters. And we have, you know, Electro, Scorpion, Craven. Craven, again, was awesome. And this <laughs> Mysterio Sandman and uh, near the end, Hydro Man <laughs> comes out of nowhere. I haven't seen Hydro Man in ages. But we get a classic Spider-Man story of Spider-Man against the Sinister Six. Yeah. And, and who takes him away, too? Yeah. Otto. <laughs> Dr. Octopus, or at the very least, What's left, left of, him. of Dr. Octopus? Because apparently at some point over the last 30 years, Doc died. <laughs> and it's just his arms, as he calls them, his sons, <laughs> that are carrying around you know, what's his left of his lifeless body. But again, this is where we get that great characterization of Otto and Peter that, again, this was 2006. This was well before Dan Slott stepped in and you know, did everything he did. But how they have that similarity between the characters and how Otto know, you know, basically knew everything somehow takes him to Mary Jane's grave as you come out, you know, everything we saw of Mary Jane earlier was just, you know, his weird old man delusions because he needs to wake Spider-Man up. You know, the world isn't the same anymore. Somebody needs to bring back, you know, the gods and the heroes. And it was so cool that they used Otto for that role, especially looking back at it now. Did you pick up too on the 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 reference to exchanging bodies? I it didn't stick out at me. Yeah, I guess. there is. Uh, I can't. I don't know what page it is. I'm actually looking at it right now. And Otto is uh, blah 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 to enter the underworld and find you, no matter how long it took, and then to exchange my body for yours, my gift to you, my brother. <laughs> long before Slot did this, even. <laughs> You got to wonder if there was some inspiration there for Dan because, yeah, that's it's right there. Mm -hmm. And this is where we get to really the larger of the two story points that everybody hates, and that's Mary Jane dying. Not the fact that she died because we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but how she died, you know, with through cancer and everything. And as Peter says, you know, he you know, his, he has radioactive blood, and that's just by being close to to Mary Jane and you know all the the times they shared together, he was the one that got her sick. So you, I guarantee right now, you go into Google and type in Spider-Man Reign, and the first, I'd say eight out of the first ten results say Spider-Man Reign, the story where Peter Parker's radioactive sperm kills Mary Jane. Well, actually, that's kind of what he's saying, too. If True, you read but it, it doesn't, like... That's, that's not, not the, the point, point no, but... the story. No, it's not, but you know what? I, I, I like that they were mature enough to use that and not to say it outright. He mm -hmm. speaks around it, but that's exactly what he's saying. And, and so it's kind of like the, again, the writer was mature enough to put that in and that it makes perfect sense 
within the borders of this make-believe world kind of thing. That that yeah, that could be something that would not be good for her. And uh, but no, I I thought it was great. It works. No, I, I I'm totally in agreement with you because, like I said, that that one little plot point doesn't you know override everything else that's going on here. And the fact that that's the one thing that you know everybody grabs onto as to why this story is horrible is really doing it a disservice. I agree. I completely agree. Because, you know, it would be one thing if, you know, Spidey pretty much like out – or Spidey, Peter <laughs> pretty much said that outright. But he doesn't. You know, he alludes to it. But, you know, there's also other things involved there. and that That's not the sole purpose. No, no. And one of the great parts of this story is Spider-Man buried his red and blue costume with Mary Jane because of course once Mary Jane died you know he didn't want to be Spider-Man anymore because as Mary Jane is on her deathbed and this is one of the best Spider-Man scenes ever you know she's dying she's slipping off but of course there's police sirens and gunshots in the background and with her last you know the last words she ever says to to Peter are go yeah because she knows that you know that's what he needs to do. That's his purpose in life. And while he's gone, she dies, and that's why he's you know such a wreck. He's carried that guilt around with him for the last however many years. I guess it's close to thirty years. But and and Spider Man has always been a character that has largely been based on guilt. His guilt with Uncle Ben, and as we've seen more recently, uh, Marla Jameson, and he carries the weight uh, of everybody he thinks he's failed around with him, and that is really getting to the core of the character in this story. Yep. And we've seen so many times in various stories, they make it a big deal when, you know, Spidey changes from his red and blue costume into his black costume, <laughs> and it's like, you know, oh, he's not playing around now. This, this was a complete epic. twist on that with it's him leaving behind. Well, the black costume's kind of in tatters and bringing up the red and blue costume of being Spider-Man again. And that twist on the I don't, I don't want to say cliche that we see with Spider-Man, but something we see fairly often with him. Again, it worked so well. Well, it's also, again, just how epic in the manner that he does it. He's going into the coffin. He's changing and breaking out and then using the song from the tv cartoon <laughs> yes again it worked it was it, it provided the brevity that you needed because overall it is a very serious story so it, it it offered that light moment that also fits because it's that's who he is when he's in that costume mm-hmm. and so again it was just one of those I, I read that i was again that light giggle and it's like yeah this is it works it's fantastic and I actually want to go back a bit to another one of uh, the scenes I really liked here when he's getting attacked by the Sinister Six and he's still in his black costume at this point. And, you know, he's beaten down and Craven goes to take a trophy and he rips off the mask instead of just taking Peter's head because Craven, I, I've always loved Craven and that's just such a cool you know, scene and look of that's his trophy. He doesn't care about, you know, the man in the costume. He has, you know, the mask that's more important to him. Yeah, yeah. But back with the mayor, you know, Jameson is now in in, in the mayor's presence. He, he, he straight up stabs the dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because as we come down to find out, it's actually the mayor's assistant that's running everything. And the mayor's assistant is none other than Venom. <laughs> and it, it came out of nowhere. And at the like at first I was like, oh, why why are they bringing Venom into the story? But as it plays out, it was very fitting. Not only it was fitting, but it was fitting for the time that this came out. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing Venom differently because oh, of everything sure. that's happened through since then, and especially with the series now kind of thing. But 
reading Venom then and reading this would have fit a lot better. Mm-hmm. Because as he explains, you know, the, the old Spider-Man line with great power comes great responsibility. And, you know, Venom gave Spider-Man an incredible amount of power. And in return, you know, Peter had a certain responsibility to the symbiote of, you know, it was just this little alien pile of goo. It needed, you know, a host to survive. And that was Peter's responsibility to it. And he cast it off and basically his 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 lack of responsibility led to venom becoming what it did now that might be a twisted way of looking at it but this is venom we're talking about and again for this story it worked phenomenally well yep yep so we get this you know the big climactic fight of now the mayor we find out this web security system that he's set up to basically cut new york off from the rest of existence no one in no one out really is a trap because he activates phase 2 and symbiotes are now everywhere. They're just devouring all the people in New York. Everything's going nuts. And we've had this girl going throughout the story for a while now. Who is Never awesome. given a name. Never given a name. But, you know, she, she's always in the middle of everything but managing to run away before anything can happen to her. At one point, she's being chased by the symbiotes. And she runs to this church, where, which is where, you know, she met up with Jonah. And that's where Jonah had everybody else assembled. And... On one hand, they set it up as, oh, she's running there for safety. But on the other hand, we realize the part of the character is, you know, because she's been telling, you know, the old joke of I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. There's people there that basically she can use as bait for the symbiote. But also in there is a church bell because as part of the web plan, if you will, the mayor said, oh, any large metal objects need to be taken down, including church bells, crosses, etc. Now, of course, we know this is because the symbiotes are weak to sound waves so i don't even know why i I don't even remember if it was playing into the story exactly why she started ringing the bell i think she was just kind of she'd had it and she was freaking out and she just it was just a and i think she even says that in the thing that she she didn't realize it would have that effect she just was lashing out because she was at the end of her rope essentially Mm -hmm. so of course she rings the bell the symbiotes retreat and they realize you know they can use this to their advantage they bring the bell ringing it the whole way all the way to uh it's not town hall the big tower where the mayor lives (laughs) and and, you know realizing that you know this is a way they can fight off the symbiotes they're they're met with the rain uh with uh, sandman you know at the forefront leading that particular group and it's revealed here that this girl is actually the Sandman's daughter. And again, a great scene. And this is one of those great things about Spider-Man where his villains have been given as much character development over the years as he himself has, which you cannot say about most any other you know, superhero. Spider-Man's villains are among the best anywhere that you'll find and especially you know sandman is one of those characters that is frequently portrayed as you know a very sympathetic figure you know he of course he's done terrible things but you know he he cares about his family and seeing what happens here with his daughter is it was really touching it was phenomenal because by this point here this is in the last issue you've gotten attached to this kid because she's a great character too and there's a lot of monologue that you get from her as well narrative that is again very good that outrunning you not the bear and different things like that throughout she's she's really a good character so when she's the one that's bringing all of these people with the carrying the church bell throughout and she's like standing up against the force of the rain and saying like you want us to leave look at we've got this corrupt police force in front of us and we've got these these 
creatures, monsters behind us. Where are we going to go? No, we're making our stand. And this whole thing about the daughters of hope and she's mm-hmm. teaching them like Sandman who the daughters of hope is and, and ending with the last daughter is truth and taking off the mask that she put on and revealing that she's his daughter and her ability is to turn into cement. And it was like, holy crap. It was fantastic. And the shots of her getting shot and of Sandman trying to teach her how to absorb everything back in so that she can live were heart wrenching. Like it was again, so well done. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where a further interpretation of it is because, you know, she doesn't turn into sand. She doesn't turn into stone. She actually turns into cement and concrete. And I kind of interpreted that as, you know, her representing, you know, the actual heart of the city, you know, New York, the the, the cement that holds the city together. And for her role in the story, I think that's that's a pretty valid parallel to draw. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. And of course, you know, Spidey ends up saving the day, you know, again, great action stuff of him just going through the tower and wrecking the other five members of the Sinister Six. Like, it's not even a fight. And it's glorious because, you know, he's back. He's cracking jokes left and right. And he's just wrecking these guys and eventually confronting Venom himself, getting his butt kicked basically by all these symbiotes now until, uh, Sandman actually shows up with the detonator that controls, you know, the the explosives that the mayor was using in the members of the Sinister Six, essentially sacrificing himself, but giving Peter the way to win the day, blow up the tower and kill off the symbiotes. And I don't want to say everybody lives happily ever after, because at the end we have Jameson on the news talking about, you know, how crime is on the rise again. You know, they don't have this this police state anymore keeping everything in check. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. It shows people are having, you know, free will again and the city is getting back to what it needs to be, both good and bad. Yeah. I honestly I can't say much more. I, there's yeah, it, there's no parting thoughts here for me. It's I've been saying it all along. It's phenomenal and brilliantly written and insanely gorgeous art. Mm-hmm. Great Peter Parker story, great Spider-Man story, great Jonah story, Jonah story the Sand villains, Man, the, the city. I, the, I can't say yeah. enough about how well every aspect of the story was handled. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The, uh, you know what? The, there's one thing that I wasn't as crazy about, and that was the 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 propaganda news uh, anchors for the Daily Bugle Network. Mm-hmm. Their bits, what I found, were a little too long and too wordy. So you'd have an entire page just with them. And I know that it's to give as much story as they can through it and all that. But I thought that maybe that could have been handled a little bit better so that it wasn't quite as much attention given to those people. Yeah, okay. That, and that's my only critique. Mm-hmm. And it's a minor one. But going back to what you said at the beginning about, you know, how much we missed reading an actual Peter Parker story. Yeah. You know, you, you, we didn't know it until we went back to it. And I just – it's one of those things where I, I was – reading this for the first time in years that I've read this, I was like, man, like I was getting emotional (laughs) reading this because, you know, there's obviously been so much said over the last year now of, you know, everybody wants Peter Parker back and this and that. And I've, I've actually had this conversation with friends of mine who are like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to read superior Spider-Man. I want to read, you know, a Peter Parker Spider-Man story. And I'm like, you know, well, we have 50 years of those Peter Parker Spider-Man stories. And, that those 50 years built up such an amazing character that means so much to so many people and seeing it now where you have this twisted version of Peter Parker, you know, somebody who has 
the same end goals but not the same morality and seeing the way that Otto is treating like Peter's I can't even come up with like the right word here but you know his I don't even want to say his legacy but his entire concept and everything that Peter Parker represents and seeing what Otto is doing to that because it's getting worse mind (laughs) you not not that the comics are getting worse comics are still fantastic but everything is Otto is doing is is building up to you know these these incredibly villainous maneuvers where it's we're almost at really makes you appreciate peter parker that much more so that of course at some point peter's going to come back and when that does happen it's going i really hope it gives everybody who has stuck with it the whole way through that much more appreciation for what peter parker as a character really does mean yeah it's funny because reading this it it does not make me want slot to end what he's doing right now with Otto, not by a long shot because Mm -hmm. I'm really, really enjoying that a lot. But what it does is it makes me want to dig through those archives and read stories like this that I have not read. And there are a bunch of the original Amazing Spider-Mans that I have not read. I'm going to be going back and reading a bunch of those again. So it makes me want to revisit the character, but not to change what's currently happening. I'm along for the ride and, and I'm willing to give him as much time as he wants. Yeah. All right, so we're going to move on to what we're reading. Uh, this week, first of all, I have Injustice. We had uh, issue 36 come out last week, which was the final issue oh, until January. Don't spoil anything I haven't um, read yet. Oh, I'm it, just it saying. Has one of the most awesome scenes ever. Okay, we'll <laughs> talk about it I'm next week. All right. <laughs> and again, I just have to look back at it. This was a comic I fully expected to be terrible. And Tom Taylor, like I, I was reading an interview with him, he you know, he went on record that you know the the core story, the whole thing with Lois and the Joker, that wasn't his idea. You know that was what he was given to work with, and his goal for this entire series was to get that out of the way as quick as possible to tell the more interesting character stories, and that's exactly what because that that whole thing was out of the way after issue two or three. And every, I don't want to say every bit, but the vast majority of the character development that's happened in this series has been great. And we've said it time and again, but it bears repeating. Yeah. Yeah. For anybody who has not read this yet, especially with this being on, on hold now, now's the time. Pick up one to 36 and read them. Mm-hmm. And you can eat, like I said, you get, there's a, it's actually been published as, I believe, 18 individual, like, actual comic issues. And we even have, uh, I think it's actual hardcovers coming out with uh, nine issues apiece in them. And mark your calendars because I don't say this very wrong. I was wrong about Injustice. Yes. <laughs> uh, Superior Carnage. I'm, I'm actually really enjoying this. Really? Yeah, because it's not so much a Carnage story. It's really more of a story about uh, the wizard who, who you know... Had, went through a lot of character development in, in the Fantastic Four or under Hickman's run where, you know, he's basically brain damaged at this point. And it's just like we saw in uh, Spider-Man Reign of, you know, Peter's tenuous hold on reality. We're getting the same thing here from the wizard. And he's trying to control this monster, basically, and just seeing the character slipping and, you know, things are going to go wrong at some point. And now we have a new superior version of Carnage. It, it's been a lot of fun. I, it started off a little iffy, but by the third issue, uh, I'm actually kind of enjoying it now. Cool. All right. Thor, God of Thunder, your yeah, favorite comic. <laughs> this were actually, uh, they're kind of doing 
a bit of cross promotion with the movie because the whole point of this story is that you know Malekith, the the prince of the dark elves, has been freed from his prison and you know, he's running wild over the nine realms. And of course, Malekith being the main villain in the upcoming Thor movie. What was really cool about this though is uh, Ron Garney is actually doing the art, and it's vastly different from what we saw him doing on Uncanny X Force earlier this year. Completely different style. Of course, there's a different uh, colorist as well. It's much more loose, you know, not not tight ink lines, very different, but it works for this story because this is a more of a fantasy setting. And it's I'm actually amazed that one artist was able to do these two vastly different styles. And for the purposes of their own stories, it worked great. I know you're not going to read read it. (laughs) Not going to happen. And then Savage Wolverine. Did you read that last one? Yes. I really can't say much. I mean, overall, the story didn't do a whole lot for me, but... Yeah, but did you read the other two? Yes. Okay, so you were up to date. Yes, but Madrera had some scenes, especially in this last issue, that were just ridiculous. I'm sure it took him five months to draw this issue. (laughs) I loved the story. I, I, it was a perfect end to the, what was going on with the story up until now kind of thing. The, the conflict between Kingpin and his wife that's arisen and then the, all of the stuff going on with, uh, Wolverine. I mean, they, they fell on the obvious bringing out the beast in him thing, which we see a lot of times. But, but never kind of to that work, extent yeah. and drawn that ridiculously. Oh, yeah, man, it was epic. And then ending with him and, and Spider-Man again, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> that telling him to be quiet was just fantastic. I, I really like this a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty fun. I, I actually don't know where they're going next because, again, Savage Wolverine is like the uh, previously known as Avenging Spider-Man. Now it's Superior Spider-Man team up where it's going to be different teams coming in and just doing a couple short standalone stories every now and then. All right. What have you got then? Um, well, we'll start with uh, X-Men Legacy number 17 because we started with the fight that was going on with uh, that while well, it was just, just starting in the last one between him and Cyclops. So mm-hmm. here you get the actual fight. I'm assuming you've read this. Yes. Man, again, just there's not a lot of comic books where um, – well, it it happens often where if there's too much narrative, I'll point it out that it mm-hmm. doesn't work because of that. And yet with with th- these here with David, the narrative seems to always work. Now, that's a testament, of course, to the writing for the series, um, but also, I mean, the character, but it is obviously the writing. And it just the, – the narrative Spurrier does a phenomenal job with David's – narrative throughout and here where he's talking about what a fight is and and you know the the notion of the 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 hollywoodized bastardized version of what a fight is for them and what the reality is and how you never think you don't go into a fight thinking you're going to lose and all these other things it was just phenomenal and then playing on the idea of of him and and cyclops and pointing out the things that we talked about last episode where you know they're, they're the, the 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 son and the would-be surrogate son and things like that and then the ending of course which was something that that uh, blindfold had kind of foreseen about what was going to be happening with david this was fantastic i really really dug this a lot I'm actually a little worried for it now <laughs> because the story has reached a point it's been building to and i i 
I don't want anybody to go away. <laughs> but I don't see a way out of this situation without the prophecy coming true. So it's going to be interesting to see how Spurrier pulls this off or, you know, if he just does straight up kill one of the characters. Yeah. Uh, Cable and X-Force, the newest one. Did you read it? Mm-hmm. Hope is still kind of... Yeah. Yeah, not so much with the interesting. And this this was you. worth it just for uh, Unicorn Cable alone, though. Well, it was worth it just to see the freaking nemesis on the worm. <laughs> yes, that <laughs> And the too. jokes. <laughs> um, I mean, it's the closing of the little story arc. Well, a close to the story arc, so it was kind of mandatory. But again, they're, they're putting a lot of importance on Hope. I didn't think initially there was going to be that much on her, but... I don't know. She's just not as interesting as what we've seen her in other things. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, now we've reached the point in the story where for the first time in quite a while, we have the team together again. Yeah. So I'm really hoping we can get to those great dynamics that made us enjoy it so much over the first several issues. Yeah. Uh, Ultimate Comic X-Men 31. I haven't Colossus read that one yet, actually. Yeah. So basically Kitty hands over the reins to Colossus to take over for a while. There's a couple of interesting scenes, but overall I'm sticking with what I said originally, which is that I'm kind of not digging where this is going or where it's been going for a while. Hmm. I'm just not enjoying the characters as much. I'm not enjoying the premise either. The thing that they're doing with Jean Grey and that the causing a war because they're not getting together is to me a, a asinine plot development as well. It just... It doesn't make sense. So I really, and what they're doing now, especially, I don't want to spoil it, but the ending of this issue, I, no, no, I am very close to the point of actually giving up on the series. That's how much I've just, and it's not like I'm looking at it and saying, this is terrible. And I don't know. No, it's just so ambivalent about it and not caring at all that it's just why spend money on this in time. Yeah, bringing Jean and uh, you know the, the whole thing with her into the story really changed the tone of the series. And I, I don't know about you, but I missed a large number of issues kind of explaining everything that's going on with Jean. So I don't know, maybe there's some characterization in there that we there both isn't. missed. But... No, I've read them all. Okay. I've read every single one of them and no. It's, okay. No, not good. <laughs> all right. I, I, I will defer to your judgment in this case then. Uh, finally, just uh, – Batman Beyond 2.0 and what they're doing with that has been very cool, especially if you read the initial series. So then you are up with what's going on with all of the characters and, and, uh, and Tim's in there and a much more active role and stuff. It's, it's still more set up at this point kind of thing, but I'm digging how they took the characters and built on it and didn't just kind of reboot. So mm-hmm. I, it's, it's been really fun. And Again, I missed a lot of that initial run. But Which is too bad I, because, man... I, I intend to go back. <laughs> yeah, you really should because when you're looking at a lot of the crap that's out of DC, this is good that's out of DC, so it's well worth reading. Yeah, that, well said. <laughs> okay, and that's it. 
All right. Well, speaking of crap from DC, we're going to get to them in just a minute. Uh, but first, we have Marvel's new releases this week. We have Avengers number 20 and Avengers Assemble number 19, both Infinity tie-ins. We have FF number 12, Guardians of the Galaxy number 6, Infinity the Heist number 1. That actually should be pretty fun because Frank Thierry's writing and he does those off, you know, like odd stories pretty well. Uh, we have Nova number 8, Scarlet Spider number 22, Ultimate Spider-Man number 27, Uncanny Avengers number 12, Part 4 of Battle of the Atom with Wolverine and the X-Men number 36, and Young Avengers number 10. All right, on to DC. I, you know what? I'm not doing the numbers. I'm not even going to tell you what the actual <laughs> series is because it's become increasingly obvious that it doesn't even matter anymore. So I'm just going to tell you what villain issues are out there this week. We have Metallo, Ocean Master, Bane, Killer Croc, Doomsday, Joker's Daughter, Man Bat, Sinestro, Secret Society, Black Adam, Parasite, and The Firstborn, as well as they also have Wake Number 4 coming out. We're really anticipating that. And yeah, we're doing the whole Forever Evil thing next week, and I might spend a half hour just yelling about DC's publishing and not even the actual comics themselves. On to better news, though, we have a big lineup from IDW this week. We have G.I. Joe number eight, Godzilla, Rulers of Earth number four. We have a new series, The Other Dead number one, which is, you know, your zombie apocalypse thing. But it's actually written by Kevin Eastman from Ninja Turtles. So that alone Mm. is going to make me interested to check it out. Definitely. I didn't even know they were publishing this, but we have Powerpuff Girls number one. (laughs) I approve. So do I. Damn right. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 26 and Transformers More Than Meets the Eye number 21. And then from Image this week, we also have East of West number 6, Fatal number 17, and Saga number 14. So that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. So until next week, thanks for listening. Yeah.